0: In Hebrews, the fifth chapter, and starting with verse 12, if you'd like to get your Bibles out and follow along with me, reads this way. By this time you ought to be teachers, but you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. You have come to need milk and not solid food. Everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. The Hebrew writer is making obviously a contrast between those that that he says are, are just babes in Christ and those who are, I love this expression, of full age. By the way, that word is translated in most other places perfect and what it uh, the the idea when you put it with age is it's talking about somebody who is over the age of 50 you have arrived at perfection been there a few years what spiritual maturity is really what he's talking about in the spiritual realm we're not talking about the number of years We're talking about whether or not you have your senses exercised to discern good and evil. You gain strength in your physical bodies by exercising. If you turn into a couch potato and you can't move and you can't get around, you're going to start gaining weight and your muscles are going to have atrophy. You're just going to get weak. And it's the same way with your spiritual life. If you don't use your senses, then you're going to not be able to discern, to understand, to, to, uh, show what's good and what's evil. And that's really difficult. You know, you go back to my childhood and just about the majority of society agreed what was good and evil. Today, it's almost a given, there is no good and evil in society. But we are supposed to, as Christians, we're supposed to be able to understand, to discern what is good and evil. And that, that, my friend, can be difficult. Can be very difficult. If you'll turn to Romans, the 12th chapter, you're going to find Paul as he talks about this in in a little different way. He says in verse number two of Romans 12, to not be conformed to the world. Don't be like the world. We're supposed to be different from the world. As a matter of fact, he describes it as a transforming And it's done by the renewing of your mind. Transforming is like turning coal into electricity. It it changes the form. And that's what we're supposed to do. And that happens by the renewing of your mind. That you can prove. You can determine what's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The big question is how do you do that? How can we know I had a a mother tell me just this week that her her son was using pot. Then his argument was it's no different than drinking a bottle of beer. Well, it is. There's a difference chemically in your minds, but irregardless of that, it's illegal. It's something that you just can't do. And it does do damage in other ways. But how do you argue what's right and what's wrong? That's what I talked about this morning. That's what I'm going to talk about tonight. I have seven different questions that we need to ask ourselves, a matrix, if you will. If it's this, then you do that. And if it's not, then you do this. It's its a way of, of determining. It's, a, it's a, a framework of how do you determine if something is right or wrong? The first thing that we need to do is very obvious. Is it condemned in the Bible? I mean that starts the whole thing out. If it's if it says thou shall not, or if you do this, you're going to be punished, then then we can know. Turn with me, if you will, to Galatians, and I'm going to the fifth chapter, Galatians five, and I'm gonna be on verse nineteen. Five nineteen. Now the works of the flesh are evident, Paul says. They're plain. They're clear. We can't argue about those. We know whether these are right and whether they're wrong. Adultery, he starts out with. And fornication, uncleanness and lewdness and idolatry and sorcery and hatred and contentions and jealousies, outbursts of wrath. Ooh. You mean if I get angry and blast out with that? That's just as bad as adultery? That's in the same list as idolatry? And sorcery? Yes it is, my friend. Yes it is. Selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. Many of those sins that are listed there are accepted in society today. Ambition, even selfish ambition, is one that's rewarded. Too often. But I love the next three words. And the like. Paul's saying, I don't need to list every one of them. it would take a book. But everything that fits within this kind of a category, he says, I told you beforehand, and I told you in times past, and I'm telling you now, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. God had him tell it three times at least. And there may be more wrapped up in, I told you in times past, He doesn't say just once. That's something that was listed many times. It's outright condemned. He said, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. So any of those things we can say right off the top, those are wrong. There's no question. There's no decision to make there. It's just read it and say, you're right. You're right. Alright. What I want to do is it mentioned there. So maybe I want to smoke pot. I don't I don't read smoking pot anywhere in that in that list. Does that mean I can do it? Well, it does to many people. It's not condemned in the Bible. Therefore I have every right to do it. Well, I think there's other things that we need to look at. The next one that I have on my list is, will it harm me spiritually? As I look at it and I think about something that I want to do, let's expand the context of this passage just a little bit and back up to verse 16. Galatians 5. I say then, walk in the Spirit, And you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one another. So you do not do the things you wish. But if you're led by the spirit, you're not under the law. And he goes on and tells us what the fruits of of the works of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit are. And he says in verse 25, "If we live in the spirit. Let's walk in the spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He's telling us we should not do things that are going to harm us spiritually. That are going to weaken me. That are going to pull me away. That are going to tempt me to do things that go beyond that. You talk to just about any law officer and they'll tell you smoking pot's to gateway drug. Most every user of cocaine and heroin and and crack and all these other drugs started out smoking pot. Where is it going to lead me spiritually? It's going to lead me down a road where I'm not going to be able to gain the kingdom of heaven. Third question that I want to ask myself, or fourth, like I said, is the third question. Will it harm me? physically i talked about was it condemned and will it harm me spiritually now i'm talking about will it harm me physically the argument that it's no worse than a bottle of beer is a silly argument i mean stepping in front of a, a semi out here's no worse than putting a gun to my head so i can do it right yeah well that's dumb you don't argue that one bad thing justifies another bad thing. Was this thing going to harm me physically? Do I have the right to harm my body? It's mine. I can do what I want with it, right? What I do with my body is my business, nobody else's. Well, look in First Corinthians the sixth chapter, and let's see what it says. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm going to to verse seventeen. Six seventeen. Excuse me. Six eighteen. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Well, that's my business. Why should anyone else care? Read on. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you and whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, if I was standing here preaching and I suddenly looked out the window and I saw my minivan going down a road, I'd get excited. That's mine. I'm making payments on that thing. The bank and I own that. It's not somebody else's. It's mine. How do you think God feels when you take what he purchased and you abuse it and you misuse it? Is it right and is it right? It's wrong to abuse. It's not ours. It's God. And we need to recognize and understand, I can't harm myself physically. Romans, the 12th chapter, we're told to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. God wants us to present our bodies as a, in, a living sacrifice. Now you go back and read the Old Testament. I'm not going to spend the time on it. It's easy to look up in a concordance. Sacrifices. They had to be without spot, they had to be without blemish, they had to be a certain year, they had to be perfect. Well, God will take my imperfect body because, you know, I can damage it any way I want to and then God will accept it. No, He won't. It's wrong. He wants a perfect sacrifice. He, He wants us to look at, is it going to harm me physically? Is it going to harm me spiritually? And is it already condemned? The fourth one takes it out of the me range. You notice I've been talking mainly about me. Is it going to harm me physically? Is it going to harm me spiritually? Now I want to talk about, does it hurt others? Causing them to, to go astray. And does that matter? Whether I, because, you know, I, who cares what other people think? I just want to do what I want to do. Isn't that the way most people today seem to think? It's just me. I don't have to worry about anyone else. Go to Romans, the 14th chapter. The whole chapter, really, all the way to the third verse of the 15th chapter. Like I told them this morning, I'm not going to preach the whole chapter, so don't don't anybody get excited and and get upset. I want to start with verse number seven. None of us lives to himself. Well, what do you mean? I have to be concerned about how my actions affect other people. I don't have the right to ignore everyone else. None of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. and If we die, we die to the Lord. Whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We cannot do to other people harmful things. Look down at verse number 12 of this chapter. Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. I'm going to have to give an account what I do with my life. You're going to have to give it with yours. Therefore, because I'm going to have to give an account for myself, let's not judge anyone anymore. But rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in your brother's way. Well, if it upsets somebody for what I'm doing, and I say, hey, I don't care. I like it. I want to do it. What am I doing but harming them, putting a stumbling block in front of them, giving them a cause to fall? I cannot do that. Verse 15 says, If your brother is grieved because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom God died. Even something as simple and as common and as everyday as food, I cannot use it in a way that's going to harm someone else. Christ died for him too. Not just for me. Go to the third verse of the 15th chapter. Even Christ did not please himself. Wow. You know, I never looked at it that way. I'm kind of glad he didn't do that. His desire, his pleasure was, Lord, take this away from me if it's possible. That was his way. Now he already said right after that, you know, nevertheless, I want to do your will. I have no right to do anything to my neighbor that's going to hurt them. Even Christ didn't do that. How dare we? Okay, I not only have to run it through my mind, is this going to hurt someone else? How about is it going to take too much time? It'll take too much money. We can look at that all kinds of ways. Golf is wonderful exercise. Get out and breathe good, healthy air. Get out in the sunshine, walk. Swinging your body, working your muscles. So I've got the right to go out and spend two thousand dollars on a set of clubs, right? Because it's it's good for me. And and then spend another five hundred dollars on a nice bag to put them in. And then you know if I am going to spend all that, I might as well buy the whole golf cart and a trailer to tow it along behind the car so that when I get out there, I don't have to wait in line. I can get out and get more exercise. And you know where I'm going with all of this. You can go too far. You can take too much time. You know who Paul Ryan is? He's a congressman from Minnesota, I believe it is. He's been working with the budget and all of this for the Republican Party for years. Very popular in, in Washington. John Boehner, our congressman from Ohio, resigned as the chairman of, not chairman, speaker of, of the House. And they suggested to Paul Ryan, you might want to apply for that job. You might want to step into it. You know what his answer was? He laughed. He said, that's an empty nester's job. I still have kids at home. I can't take that much time. Now that's a big career move for a professional politician to move into the speaker's seat. And he said, no. I'm not going to commit that much time to my job and take it away from my wife and kids. They need me at this time in my life. They have to be a priority. That made great sense. I don't agree with him on everything that he does by any means. But I sure liked what he had to say there. I think it fits very well with what Jesus said in Luke, the 12th chapter, where he tells us that we're not to to take and, and put it all up for what we want. He says in Luke 12, and starting with verse 16, He spoke a parable to them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully and he thought within himself saying what shall i do since i have no room to store my crops so he said i'll do this i'll pull down my barns and build greater and these will then will i store all my crops and my goods and i'll say to my soul soul you have many goods laid up for many years take your ease eat drink and be merry God said to him, fool, fool, the word means you unreasoning person, you person that don't think right, this night your soul will be required of thee, then who will all these things be which you have provided? This man worked and was very successful. Made so much out of his crop. That he didn't have what to do with it. Seemingly never occurred to him. To give the excess to the poor. And take some time with his family. And with the, the, the Lord's people. And not grow so much next year. Took too much of his time. In his work. In his life, the Book of Ephesians, the fifth chapter and verse fifteen, tells us we need to redeem the time. We need to redeem the time. God has a right to tell us use your time in the way you should. So we need to look at it, is it condemned? Does it hurt me spiritually? Does it hurt me physically? Does it does it hurt others? And does it take too much of my time and too much of my own? next question I ask as I go through this matrix is, is how's it going to work with my influence in Christ how's it going to influence the folks that are watching me when I say I'm a Christian and I talk or do this how about the church if I talk to them about becoming a Christian coming and worshiping with us is this action going to make my influence better? I think most of us know what Jesus had to say in Matthew, the fifth chapter, starting in verse 14, where he talks about what kind of a of a person we ought to be. He says that we ought to be a city that's set on a hill. A city that's set on a hill that That gives light to everyone. A city that's going to lead others to where they ought to go. Is that the kind of person we are? You're the light of the world. You, me, we're the light of the world. Or we should be. He says a city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden. If you're standing up and claiming, I'm a Christian, you can't hide in the closet. You got to do things that let other folks know that. He says, they don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel, put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. Then he tells us, let your light, your light, that's singular, by the way. That's talking to individuals, that's not talking to the preacher." That's not talking to the congregation. That's talking to each one of us. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, your good works, singular again. It's great that the church does good things. What are you doing? See your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Is this going to do that? This decision that we want to make? Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy the 5th chapter or 4th chapter in verse number 12 to be an example to the believers. Folks, we are supposed to live in the goldfish bowl. We're supposed to set ourselves up and say, come watch me. Do the things that I am doing. The last one Tells us that we need to ask the question that's very simple. You remember the little bracelets that people used to wear? WWJD said on them, What would Jesus do? That's where I'm going with this one. Would Jesus approve of what you want to do? Would He join in with you? You think he'd sit down and suck on that bong? You think he'd smoke that weed? Using that example? Would he do the things that 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 we want to do? First Peter, the second chapter in verse number twenty-one tells us that he died to set an example for us. You see, we often talk about Jesus as he Died to save us. He also died and lived to give us an example. 1 Peter 2 in verse number 21. For this you were called, because Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. We need to be able to look at everything we do and decide, yes, Jesus would love to be here with me. He, that's is exactly where he would be comfortable. That's why Paul was able to say in 1 Corinthians eleven eleven, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can we tell our friends, our neighbors, our family, live like I live, talk like I talk, dress like I dress, do what I do. Because that's what Christ would have done if he was in this circumstance. My time's getting away from me, but I have two more thoughts. Number one, the argument was always when you talk to somebody about sin is, well, that's just the way I am. That's, um, you know, the old argument, I'm a redhead, therefore I've got a hot temper. That I inherit these characteristics. Well, I want you to know you don't inherit sin. Sin, by its very nature, is not something that can be inherited. Turn with me, if you will, to First John. I want to go to the third chapter and look at verse number four. Whoever commits sin Sin is something you commit. It's an act you do. It's a thought you have. It's a word you say. Whosoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. If it's something you have to commit, then you can't inherit that. It's something you do. We neither inherit the guilt or the act from our parents. Now, we may, as parents, set an example before our children that encourages them to act in certain ways. But I'm going to tell you something. They're responsible for their decisions when they reach an age of maturity. When they reach an age where they can make decisions. Look at the book of Ezekiel, because God wants to make that extremely clear and extremely plain. Ezekiel, and I'm looking at the 18th chapter and verse number 20. The soul who sins shall die. Not the soul whose father sins or whose mother sins. It's the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor listen to this one. Neither the father bear the guilt of the son. When our children grow up and they leave home and they make their own decisions and live their own lives and they sin, that's not our fault. That's not our guilt. We do not bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. And the wickedness of the wicked shall be on himself. Now, we sometimes bear the the consequences of our parents' sin. The crack baby, for example. The mother is is addicted to crack and uses it while she's carrying that baby. And the baby comes out addicted to alcohol, uh, fetal syndrome, where the, the mind of the baby, the brain of the baby is is damaged because of the actions of the mother. Sometimes those consequences are there. Sometimes the consequences of of growing up in abject poverty because of the misuse of the funds of the parents. But we don't bear the guilt. It's not hereditary. Sin. Second point. Friends, sin's no laughing matter. Now if if you want to watch television, you'll see comedian after comedian after comedian. Watch the late night shows that are particularly bad that make joke after joke out of sin and the sinful things that people do. Sin is not a laughing matter. Sin is rebellion, lawlessness, and perversion. Sin is a disease. That needs to be cured. It's a taskmaster that needs forsaking. It's, it's insanity that needs healed. Sin is filth that needs to be cleansed. Sin is a debt that needs to be paid. Sin is a stain that needs to be removed. Sin is a darkness that needs light. We need to know and understand what sin is. It is ugly, awful, and filthy. Hopefully, an understanding of what sin is, is a strong argument against sinning. We should want to do what God's Word wants us to do. Romans, the 8th chapter, and verse, excuse me, John, the 8th chapter, and verse number 32, tells us that the blood of Christ will set us free from the chains of sin. From the the, the disease, the insanity, the filth that sin brings into our life. We can be cleansed from all of that. But that only happens when we quit the sinning business and start obeying the gospel. I can't make a stronger argument of why someone ought to be a Christian than the fact that we can leave sin. We can get out of the sinning business. We no longer have to. Because sin can be addictive. Sin can be habit forming. Smoking cigarettes, drinking, pornography. Those things are all addictive. Habit forming. But we can break that chain. We can be the people God wants us to be. If we'll make the right decisions. The good news is that we have that opportunity. We have it right now. I know everybody in here is of an age has been immersed for the forgiveness of your sins. But how many of us have made wrong decisions that we need to repent of? Because you see, once you've been immersed, then there's the need to live a faithful life. You can't do that one one and done deal. It's an everyday situation. That we need to sit down and go through all of these steps, all these thoughts and make the decisions God wants us to make. If you want to repent and you want to do it tonight, nothing would make us happier, nothing would bring greater joy than heaven than for one of his children to come home Won't you do it now while we stand and while we sing?